What's going on, class? Hey, who ran into traffic on the way over here? Handful of people? Heard it was crazy out there. Heard it was a jungle. Um, luckily, I stayed up here this afternoon, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have to deal with that. Not our problem. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, hey, tonight, uh, tonight is going to be a, a really good night. We are going to be talking about application. And uh, if, you, if you got the email, then you already knew that. <clears throat> but uh, but we are, we're going to kind of move through some various aspects of application, some principles of application, some of the things that are, that are typical roadblocks for people and hindrances that keep us from applying Scripture. We're also going to handle some, uh, we're also going to handle kind of some real-world scenarios. And then um, we're going to end our time um, with, with a really cool um, uh, aspect of, of application that I think is probably the most important part of uh, this key to effective Bible study. And so really excited about tonight. Um, just by way of kind of announcements, and uh, if, you, um, if you got the email, there was a highlighted portion at the bottom that said we had a kind of a special announcement for next week. So who, who bought a, one of those books, uh, Journey into God's Word? Do you have one? All right, most of you guys. Um, one, I would encourage you if, you, if you don't have one of those, I would highly encourage you to buy one. I think we've got about 20 or 30 copies left. And uh, I would just tell you, like, from someone who's done a lot of work in this area, that book is probably, um, from like a lay-level standpoint, is, is probably the best thing out there on the market. And so um, the other good part and the exciting part, we were planning on doing a synthesis um, class next week to just kind of tie all this stuff together. And um, a few weeks ago, though, I, uh, I emailed uh, an old professor of mine at Washita and said, hey, I'd love for you to come. Um, you know, do this last class for us. And so um, one of the authors of Journey into God's Word is, is coming to do next week's class. All right, Dr. Yeah. Um, his Whoa, name, we're pretty good too. Yeah, that right. <laughs> okay. You guys are like, y'all aren't Yay, teaching. Pilot. Yes. You're getting your money's worth next week. <laughs> so, uh, so Dr. Danny Hayes is the, uh, uh, the dean of the, Christ- the Pruitt School of Christian Studies at Washita Baptist University. He's, he's authored Gra- Grasping God's Word, Journeying to God's Word, the uh, Baker Illustrated Bible Handbook that we referred to you guys last week. He edited that. Um, he's written extensively on Old Testament issues. That's kind of his main thing. And so um, he's going to do a little bit of a synthesis. He's going to cover some interpretive issues in Mark next week. And then the thing I'm, re- I'm really excited about is he's going to uh, go through kind of a solid uh, uh, methodology for how we interpret the Old Testament law, right? How many of you guys have ever been lost reading the law, right? He's going he's gonna to walk us through that next week. And so um, get excited. I'm excited. I'm going to be sitting out there with you, like, vigorously taking notes. So, um, hey, for sure, you, I, I'm telling you, I, and I told the staff this too, like, you do not want to miss this. So um, come next week and bring a friend, all right? But um, let me pray for our time, and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for who you are. We, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, to um, both take our sin upon himself, absorb it as only he could, and to transfer to us your righteousness, and that we might be the righteousness of God. And um, thank you for... Sending the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, um, to 
indwell us and to also uh, illumine us and to empower us to live the, the type of life that, that, uh, that you've called us to live, uh, that we might act like who you have already made us, mm. that we might be sons and daughters, um, that, that our lives would reflect the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. We, we love you. We just invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach and, and uh, pray that this time would be marked by um, your power and presence. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so application. This is kind of the, you, you know, if you want to, typically if you break it down into the, the three kind of principles of hermeneutics or, or uh, hermeneutics, remember, is that $500 word that just means Bible study method. You just break it down. I mean, the, the first one obviously is observation, and we tackled that a few weeks ago. And then uh, last week we covered interpretation. And really, I mean, the, the entire point of all of this is, is not that we would open the Bible and become smarter people, right? Um, do you guys, uh, if you guys recall, the very first night we were over jam-packed into the uh, third floor assembly room, um, I, I, I started our time by making the point that the, uh, the purpose, the intent, the point of uh, effective Bible study is not for you to gain information. It's, it's not for you to, to be able to win an argument at work with somebody who disagrees with you. It's not, the point of it is not to win an argument with your spouse, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the, the point is not to impress people with your knowledge of the Bible or of Greek and Hebrew or, or any of that, right? Um, scripture was given to us as a testament, um, as a witness to a person, and, and that person is Jesus, right? John chapter 1, verse 1 says, um, uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And you skip down to verse 14 of that same chapter, and it says, and the word became flesh, and we saw him, right? Put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. I mean, you just think about it for a second. It's like the God, the God of the universe, the one who has created all things and sustains all things and, and um, is in all things driving them by the power and presence of uh, of, of his word, that that God who created you, one, wants to know you, and two, went to such great lengths that he actually became one of us, right? Um, what? That, that's, that's interesting. I mean, you could, you could think about that for a while. And so what I don't want to happen tonight, and you'll hear me say this multiple times tonight, what I don't want to happen tonight is for us to turn into legalists, right, and to walk out of here with, with uh, kind of our rule book to go check a list and dutifully obey and apply the Bible to your life. That is not the point, okay? Um, the point is to know God. And, and, uh, and there are relational things that we do um, in our lives to invest in that relationship with him, right? Not to check a box, not to, not to be a good Christian, not to... Uh, check off our religious obligation, but to know God, right? 
And, and so um, I just wanted to make that point and we'll continue to make it all night long just so you can't walk away and be like, well, I just need to like obey these things and I'll be good, right? Um, but there is, just like we've said with observation and interpretation, there is a, an, an art to this, okay? And so we also don't want to ignore that. And so we are going to spend um, quite a bit of time talking through that art. What does it look like to uh, accurately apply God's word? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, again, you're connecting with a person. And so um, this key is the means by which we answer the question, hey, what, what difference does this make? When I come to the text and I've observed and I feel like I've accurately interpreted, I've done due diligence to, um, to bring out that universal truth that applies in every context that, that spans time, culture, geography, language, covenant, all of those things. Um, then how do I accurately apply that universal truth in my context, in my world um, today? And so um, that, that is th- uh, the question that is, hey, well, what difference does all of this make? So in, in keeping with that, there's kind of this, this, uh, um, this idea that, um, that, that you do the hard work of, of context, of observation, of interpretation, so that you are accurately applying the truth from Scripture to your life, right? If you skip, if you just read and, and don't do the context, don't do the observation, don't do the interpretation, if you just skip over to and immediately go to application, do you think that your application is going to be accurate or not? probably not accurate, right? And so that's why, you know, you put a phrase up here like this, a lack of understanding or frankly, just laziness by people who, who are just like, you know what, that's kind of hard work. I, I, I'm just going to like read this to read it and, and move on, right? Um, then, then a, a laziness in observing and interpreting, it, it leads to an inaccurate application and that results in your life being ordered apart from God, Right? Again, going off of that same idea I said on the first week, like so many of us in our lives have this idea that, 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 that God is this certain type of person. And what's interesting about a lot of people's ideas about God is that he strangely looks a lot like them, right? And, and, and so they're worshiping, they're worshiping a deity who is not truly God, um, and with the, the, you know, you know the, the scary part of that is, is that in a lot of ways, we just end up worshiping an extension of ourselves. Um, and uh, yeah, that's totally jacked up. <laughs> but um, tonight, hopefully, we'll, we'll help unravel like, hey, how can, how can we um, accurately apply these things in order to relationally connect with God who, um, who is life itself? Right, who is the only one who is able to transform us. So to that end, Nike is going to take us through the principles of application. Yeah, so um, like you said, if you, if you skip over interpretation or observation interpretation, then you're probably not going to have a relevant application. And so an example of how we would do relevant application is you read Leviticus 19.9, and it says, don't reap to the very edges of your field. And you're like, Okay, what does that have to do with me? So you do what we've told you to do. You do background studies and you do your interpretation all that. And you come to the realization that um, God was commanding the wealthy landowners to not reap every part of their field. And what they would do is the poor um, and, the, and the orphaned and the widow were allowed to pick from the edges of the field. And so that was a way to provide for the orphan and the widow and, and the poor in the land. And so he's saying, hey, look, you can reap most of your field, but leave a little bit of the edge for the poor. So you do your job for interpretation, and then you're going, okay, how do I apply this to my life? 
And so a bad application would be going, I'm going to mow my lawn, but leave like the little edges, right? That, that has nothing to do with what he's talking about. Um, and you'd have the weirdest lawn on the block, and then like the city would be like, please come cut the edges. This is getting ridiculous. And, um, and then you'd be like the weird religious nut who's like, I have the religious right and command to not cut my lawn. Don't be that person. And so uh, what we would say about relevant is then you're going to go, hey, what's a parallel example to not cutting the corners of my field. If the universal truth in that passage is God wants me to look after the poor, God wants me to use the resources I've been given, not use all of them for my own consumption, but leave some for the poor, the orphan, the widow, then you would go, what's a parallel example? And so if you're a business owner, I mean, that'd be a great example. Do you, within your business, use a portion of your profits to to help out the needy and and the the poor within your community, right? Um, Panera, I don't know who owns Panera, but this is something they do quite well. Every every night at the end of the night, I don't know if you know, they give away the bread that's been made that day to different organizations and all of that. And so um, don't buy your bagel at 9 p.m. Wait till like 9.01 and be like, are you going to give that away? (laughs) Because I would like it toasted. And so... um, (laughs) Yeah, and so that would be irrelevant. So even if you're not a business owner, right, you're going, what's the parallel example so that this is relevant for me today? And especially within your community and going to your community and going, hey, so I'm, I'm reading this text and it seems to mean that God wants me to look after the, the poor, the orphan, the widow, those who can't look after themselves. What is an area I can do that in? And that's where your community can go, hey, you, you have all of this money in the bank. What are you doing with every percentage of your paycheck and so on and so forth? And so that would be an example of keeping it relevant. The next one we were talking about is keeping it accurate. And so, again, it, the, what we wrote in your, in your paper is do not compromise the universal truth to produce a desired result. Avoid extremes. The majority of the time, the accurate application is somewhere in the middle. Mm. We would also say avoid Christian allegory, right? So this is where um, you're going, man, I really, I think I want to buy a house, but I'm not sure my finances are in order. Um, so I'm really kind of wrestling through this. And then you get to the parable where the guy finds a treasure and he sells everything he has and he goes and, buy, and finds the field. And you're like, okay, I found a house on Zillow.com and I think that's my treasure. And I just feel like the Lord was speaking to me. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with buying a house, right? That has everything to do with uh, giving everything you've got for the kingdom of God. If you find the gospel, you cling to it. And so these are examples of accurate. If you skip that, the observation interpretation, and suddenly you're just taking the text and applying it, right? I, I had a guy friend when I was in college. He was like, I know that my wife's name is going to be Sarah. And I was like, what? Uh, and I was like, you're like going to call her that? And he was like, no, her name's going to be Sarah. And I was like, why do, you, why do you know that already? Like, was there an 800 number? And what does she look like? And my name's not Sarah, so I feel a little safer yeah, right, right now. Yeah, exactly. Are you yeah. sure it's not like, Nika? Oh, okay, no, it wasn't, wasn't that good. Uh, and I was like, how'd you know that? And he goes, man, I was just praying. I was like, Lord, show me who my wife's going to be. And then I opened up, and there was the story of Sarah and Abraham. And I was like, good thing you didn't read Hagar, right? I mean, okay, I'd be like, yeah. what? There's a lot in there. At least he wasn't so, reading Hosea. You know? Yeah, and I, I mean, looking back on that, I'm like, he's probably reading about like giving her maidservant over or being disobedient, but who knows? So that's another example of just, you, this is why the text informs the application, right? We don't, we don't come up with what we want to do and then flip through the Bible and try to find support for it. Instead, we go, what is the universal principle? And then what is an accurate application that we can drive from that? Um, I jest about this, but y'all, people are crazy, so don't be a crazy person. Um, and then finally, concise. And so at the risk of sounding like a legalist, you do want something that's measurable. You do want something that's a plan. And so um, let's say you come to somebody and you go, hey, I do think the Lord wants me to look after the poor and the needy. 
And then suddenly, five months later, you know, you're like, man, I still think the Lord wants me to do that. And you've done nothing, right? And so then you're just going, hey, how do, how do we have checks in our heart, a practical check, not a to-do list that we go, okay, good, I'm going to get another crown in heaven or anything like that. But really, I'm just going, I really want my life to be marked in such a way that when people look at it, they go, I, I care about the poor and the needy. And so going, man, I, I am going to have, you know, bags for the homeless in my car, and I'm going to endeavor to give out five a month. And maybe I don't, but I'm going to be led by the Spirit. Not that I failed if I don't, but, but a plan, an, an accurate plan. And then that way your accountability partners can go, hey, how are you doing with that? Have you, have you given any money out of your paycheck this month to an organization? Or have you given your time? Or have you done any of that? And so, again, Nate and I are not legalists. Um, not with y'all. We are in our own lives. But <laughs> yeah, we, don't, right. we don't want y'all to be. And so, no. Um, and so, again, don't take the plan thing too seriously. I don't think you can measure your sanctification. But you do want to have checks and balances in the application so you can look back and go, hey, this is, this is something because of a rule of life that, that I have, I've practiced my life in such a way that I can say, I, yeah, I am leaving corners of my field. I'm, I'm doing that. I can look out and go, I didn't reap all of my field, but there's still some left for the poor and the needy. And this is what it looks like for me in 2014 Dallas, Texas, and so on. So any questions on that, those three? Great. I'm done for the night. I'll see you all later. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That a couple of things she said did bring up an, an interesting point. Um, there is, we, we like to, as Westerners, we like to, uh, we, we like for everything to be cut and dry. We like for things to be more objective than they are subjective, right? Am I connecting with you right now? <laughs> right? Um, it, it, we're, uh, we get nervous when someone is, uh, when someone is, is saying, hey, do this, but um, there's not like this really clear wave forward. And so um, the, the difficulty with that is that in Christianity, especially um, in the spiritual life, right, um, and, and just by, by way of the name of the spiritual life, is that all of this is contingent on the, a person of the Godhead, right? Um, not the Father, not the Son, but who? The Holy Spirit, Okay. And so um, the Holy Spirit is like, uh, how many of y'all have, when you think of the Holy Spirit, is maybe a little bit like, makes you a little bit nervous or maybe a little confused, like who in the world is the Holy Spirit? Anybody? All right. Handful of people. Yeah. I mean, Just don't be ashamed us. of that. Look, at a place like Watermark, like I realize, you know, this is an area that, that uh, we, we probably need to grow a little bit in. Um, but, but I would say that uh, while life in the Spirit is not a, totally a subjective thing, there is this mystical idea of, of, of prayer, and then you hear um, these, these phrases like, hey, being led by the Spirit, right? Um, and so you're kind of like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and, and I would tell you that, well, it, it, it means a number of things. It could mean anything from um, most of the time, I would tell you that, that uh, and well, I would say this all of the time, all of the time, the decisions that the Spirit is leading you in are the same types of, are, is the same truth that is coming out of Scripture every single time, okay? So if there's ever an application, like Nika said, that, 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 you're, that is either not relevant or concise or accurate, then um, based on what Scripture has revealed, then we can pretty confidently say, hey, you probably should not do that. That's not informed by scripture. And so what I do want to say is that the Holy Spirit is never is never calling you or leading you or pushing you into anything that is contrary to what the Bible teaches ever. 
Okay, and, and so, um, and in fact, that's where where a lot of people get into a lot of uh, chaos in their life is because they'll listen to people who are teaching and who are pushing people into things that is contrary to Scripture. And so be careful there. This is one of the reasons that you're sitting in the class, and I'm glad you're here, is that we need to, we need to measure these things against what Scripture says. Now, that being said, there are also things like the Bible doesn't teach about everything, right? Never in the Bible does it say two plus two is four, you know? Uh, I mean, the, the Bible is, is a compilation of books that is, that is communicating a message about God and about God interacting with his people, Okay, this is not a science book. This is not a book you go to to just be like, hey, if it's not in the Bible, then I don't apply it to my life kind of thing. Right. And what I would say to you is there is there is revealed truth that is revealed through Scripture that is explicit, that that universal truth is always there and can always be applied in, in every situation. Right. There is also what we would call discovered truth. All right. And that is something that you, you get together in your you get together in your community group or whatever. This is why you hear at Watermark a lot of times people saying using the phrase, are you processing that with community? Right. This happens a lot here, which is a good thing. So you're sitting around your community group and you're saying, hey, I have, you know, um, I, I either need to take this job or that job. And, you know, I'm not really sure which one to take. Okay, well, let's sit down. Let's, you know, Scripture might inform this, um, uh, um, but it might not, <laughs> right? And so you go and, and you, and you uh, open the Scripture probably to some Proverbs, probably um, elsewhere um, uh, that, that are giving explicit, uh, you know, instructions about whether the person is enslaved to debt, about, about whether, you know, this is really a wise decision moving forward. And so, in fact, uh, Blake taught a message on this um, uh, not too long ago um, called the uh, Should I, in the, in the message, uh, yeah. the title of the message, the Should I, and he walked through, like, here's how to live a wise life based on Scripture. But the Bible's not telling you, hey, go be the CPA, Right or or go be um, the real estate agent or what? It's just not saying that. And so um, there are things, and people ask all the time—not all the time, but consistently—people are asking, "Hey, how do I know what the will of God is for my life?" And you guys ever wondered that before? All right, come on, hands. The people raising their hands are telling the truth. Everybody else is lying. Right? Um, I'll see, Bob. I didn't see you raise your hand, man. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. Um, So. Um, what, what I'm trying to communicate is that, is that the will of God is not something that's like this, that's like this hey, in, in Scripture, it's going to explicitly tell you what that is. And so um, the, the will of God is not something that, that you so much um, determine from explicit verses that talk about every aspect of your life as much as the will of God is something that you walk in. Okay? And so I'm circling back around to make my point, finally, after 10 minutes of talking is um, that there is this mystical element of, of walking um, in the Spirit, right? So Galatians five nineteen, um, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So there's this idea of life in the Spirit, and that life in the Spirit definitely has very subjective elements to it. And what, um, what I'm, the point I'm making is, and anybody come from a Roman Catholic background in here? All right, quite a few, sweet. Anybody still in the Roman Catholic Church? All right, bam, all the way in the back, great. Okay, <clears throat> while I would say that uh, Watermark um, definitely has uh, some theological differences um, with the Roman Catholics, um, at the same time, 
uh, the, the Roman Catholics um, had, do, do this aspect fairly well um, in certain circles, but it's called a rule of faith, all right? Anybody ever heard of a rule of faith before? All right, a handful of people. So what a rule of faith is, is this is something that you identify, you kind of write it like a paragraph of where would I say that my life is right now? Um, just based on, you know, personal goals, based on inter, interpersonal relationships, based on, um, and, and then obviously making it, you know, personal to God as well. Um, how do I relate to him? Am I relating to him on a consistent basis? And if so, how do I do that? Is it time in the word? Is it prayer? Is it solitude? Is it meditation? Is it fasting? Is it, what is it? Okay. Um, based on the disciplines. You guys heard the, the uh, spiritual disciplines mess series, right? Called the Intimacy um, uh, here a, a few months ago. Um, that's what those guys were talking about is, hey, practicing these things on a consistent basis. Well, the reason you do that, the reason you do that is because you've identified areas of growth for you. And then um, after that paragraph, so it's kind of just a self-examination. Then after that paragraph, you say, hey, what are, and all this is done extremely like prayerfully, humbly submitted to the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, what are the areas of my life that I need to grow in, right? And then identifying those and saying, okay, I need to grow in patience. I need, like for me personally, I'll personalize this, right? I need to grow in my gentleness with my wife, okay? So what are some, what are some disciplines that I can practice on a consistent basis that is going to cultivate that fruit of the Spirit in my life? Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Yeah, there it is, okay? Um, and so what, what, is, what can I do? What are the things that I'm doing in order to cultivate that, that discipline or, or that, uh, that fruit of the Spirit in my life? And so it may be something where it's like, hey, for me, an application might be, um, hey, I'm going, to, um, I'm, going to encur- I'm going to actively encourage my wife um, in some creative way every day. All right. It could be an email. It could be a little note I leave. It could be whatever. Right. Well, what comes to mind? Um, Hebrews three thirteen. Right. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you falls into the deceitfulness of sin. All right. What is a good application for that verse? Well, that is okay. Like some of these are really straightforward. Right. Encourage one another day after day. So don't be somebody that discourages people. Encourage one another and find creative ways to do that. And so we're, we're, not saying, um, we're not saying, hey, you have to apply everything in every situation and, and you're like, oh, what commands are out there? Is that me or you? I think that may be me. What commands are out there that, that I'm missing because I need to apply that, right? Don't, don't be like OCD about this, okay? Um, or, or, or don't be, um, you know, uh, wrapped up in a wad trying to... Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, just don't be about, about this. Um, but that's, um, but at the end of the day, we're, we're saying, Hey, um, application is something that, that is that, uh, that you do in the context of, of your community. And that, um, is done very intentionally based on what the Holy Spirit is leading you in your life. Right? So, um, the, the first thing that I would say is, um, is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you in your life? I mean, are, are you relationally connecting with God through the sacrifice of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit every day? Right? Because if you're not doing those things, then application is going to um, become, well, you're going to turn into a legalist. Okay. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Okay? 
Now, what are, I want to walk through some hindrances and some roadblocks to application, and then we'll do some group exercises, um, uh, and then we'll, we'll move on. But, um, yep, hang on, what, can we record this? So, so, like, hey, Kelsey, we hit that button, and then Mike is going to be my runner tonight. <clears throat> Um, so you said that... What's your uh, name? Candace. Hey, Candace. So you, uh, before you mentioned the rule of faith, you said that the Roman Catholic Church does this well. Yep. So w- why do you think that is? Because they're the ones that establish the, the whole discipline of the rule of faith. Okay. Um, and I would tell you, like, there's... I don't want to, I don't want to, like, chase a rabbit here. Um, well, I'll chase him a little bit. <laughs> but, uh... uh the if when you start talking in realms of like uh, spiritual transformation and spiritual formation, there are um, a, a lot of even the uh, some of the great like Christian mystics um, in in our in the history of Christianity. I, I mean, are pre Reformation, so they were Catholic, um, and. And I would also say the rule of faith discipline is also pre-Reformation. So it's, it's not something that is specifically Roman Catholic. Apply, I, I, I think it applies to all Christians, um, but that's where it came from. Does that make sense? Okay. Anybody else? Does everybody know what the Reformation was? Yeah, you might want right. to explain that. Um, well, since you brought and it don't up. Don't use you... any more terms that people don't know. <laughs> uh, so the Reformation was a time in church history where... Um, well, where Protestants, which is what we are, pretty much the term for Christians who are non-Catholics, split with the Catholic Church. And it was a very painful time in the church's history. Um, some would say necessary. And so that's what he's, he's saying. And so there was everybody, in some sense, was, who was Christian before that time, except for a couple of other breaks earlier, like the Egyptian church and other places, mm-hmm. would have been Roman Catholic. Yep. And, then, and then there was the Reformation where there was the split. Yep. So. Um. Okay, any other questions before we move on? No. All right, sweet. So, hey, what are some, what are some common hindrances to application, right? Um, and I would say that, you know, Nika did a really good job. Um, was that passage in Leviticus? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think she I did think. a really good job of, of pointing out um, a, a great example there at the beginning. Um, man, a lot of times we're reading through books like Leviticus or Deuteronomy um, or... You know, you're reading a you're reading a historical narrative book like Kings, where it's talking about this guy was the son of this guy, or you get to a you get to a passage in Numbers on genealogy, and it's it's just boring. I mean, and and um, a lot of times those uh, the differences or the difference uh, the gap there uh, between their situation and our situation is really wide. Okay. Um, and so a lot of times there are a lot of differences. Like you might be like, well, how in the heck do I apply the passage that tells me to not mow the, the edges of my field? You know, I mean, there's a lot of differences there. But like Nika showed skillfully earlier, um, you can do some cultural homework. You can do some background study. You can figure out, hey, what exactly is going on here? And you can actually bridge that gap. OK, now. Um, some of these things, and I would, I would say the, probably the other one um, that, that I would point to almost because a lot of times people are like, oh, genealogy is like, how do you apply anything out of a genealogy, you know? And, and I think that um, 
for me, I mean, I, Matthew chapter 1 has been an enormous application for me. It starts off, you know, the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the, the son of uh, David, the, the son of Abraham, the son of Adam, right? I think it says something like that. I may be wrong. Um, check me on it. <clears throat> um, but then it goes on to list uh, 14 generations from, uh, from uh, it's 14, 14, 14, right? Yeah. I, yeah. So um, ultimately down to Jesus. And so you have this genealogical record that basically what Matthew is trying to do is he's saying, hey, Jesus has the right to be the Jewish Messiah. He's the son of David. Okay. And, and at the end of the day, you're sitting there going, okay, well, how in the world do I apply anything like this to my life? Well, what's interesting about Matthew chapter one is that um, there, there are five different people that are mentioned in Matthew one that should, if, if, you're, if we're reading it in the context and the background that it's, that it's written in, should give us pause. Who are those five people? Does anybody know? Not you, Russ. <laughs> Does anybody know? Okay, what gender are those five people? They're female. Okay, there are five women in Jesus' genealogy. Okay, um, more than one of them are definitely not upstanding women. All right, um, one of them is sleeping with her father-in-law and is impregnated by him. One of them is a prostitute. Um, one of them is, an, is an, an, an outcast, like outsider, who's like basically bumming off the land. All right. I mean, and these women are in Jesus. There's mentioned in Jesus's genealogy. Right. And, and I think that's communicating something to us was, as people who believe that that all scripture is inspired by God. God is communicating something to us about his nature, about who he is, that, hey, in a culture that only values the the patriarch and the subsequent sons that are the line of his name. Right. God in the middle of all of that is going, no, um, all throughout history, I am, I am moving both in men and in women, that, that I deeply value women, even in a culture that, you know, really where women were second-class citizens. And so I think that, you know, even from a genealogy, we are seeing something about the nature of God that's instructing us how we also should, should live our lives and view the people around us in, in our culture, right? Um, that, that there is no place um, for any type of, of uh, discrimination or, or uh, um, kind of power plays based on gender, right? So even in passages where the, where the hermeneutical gap or where the universal principle gap is really wide and there are a lot of differences, you can still, through the power of the Holy Spirit in, in, in prayer to him, um, begin to glean out some of these applications that, that, are, uh, that are still very much applicable today, all right? Um, some of them um, are too different. And, and frankly, not, not necessarily too different. They're just done away with. So Matthew 5 says something really interesting. Actually, Jesus says something really interesting in Matthew 5. Um, but he says, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? But to fulfill them. Okay? So a lot of times people are reading through the Old Testament law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, the moral law, and they're saying, hey, you know, what, this doesn't apply anymore. Like, what, what's going on here? Like, how am I supposed to apply these things to my life? I mean, I, I'm not supposed to mix, like, uh, you know, cotton with another type of fabric. I'm not supposed to boil a young goat in its mother's milk, you know? 
okay. <laughs> um, and so, and that's why I would say, hey, come back next week because Dr. Hayes is going to take us through a, a good um, methodology to, um, to actually move through those things with skill. But I would also say that, um, that in a lot of that, I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, um, I am a fulfillment of that. Um, definitely the sacrificial system, and through, that's what the entire book of Hebrews is about. Is that, hey, we don't, as you're reading through the Old Testament, don't go sacrifice something, okay? You don't need to. Christ is the perfect sacrifice and, and took away that need for all time. And so there are definitely differences that, that just don't apply anymore because we're not under the law, okay? However, there are still things that, that can be applied um, uh, um, that are repeated in the New Testament, which is interesting. Um, do you know every single commandment in the moral law in the Old Testament is repeated in the New, save one? Do you know which one that is? Keep the Sabbath, Right. Oh, good. Um, yeah. <laughs> I got things to do on Sunday. Yeah, again. right. <clears throat> um, be, I mean, because Jesus is because Jesus is saying. I mean, and when Jesus came, he said, "Hey, uh, um, man is not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man." You know, and, and he is even in those things um, is a fulfillment of that. Right. Um, so too many differences. Secondly, ig- just plain up, straight up ignorance. People just don't know. Okay. Um, hey, for you guys, may this not be true of you. All right. Um, we've given you some tools here. There are plenty of other equipping classes that you can take. Um, we, we're offering year-round, sometimes multiple classes at a, at a time, to equip you guys to not be found in this category. Okay, um, man, uh, with the amount of, of information and and resources and solid resources that are out there for us today, let's just not let's not ever um, you know uh, stand before them, Lord, and just be like, hey, I know that I was able to learn these things, and I was just like too lazy to do it. All right. Um, and then lastly, this is interesting. We had a uh, we had a meeting with. Uh, you guys know Watermark had a, has a resident program um, where some people come, and I think there's ten this year. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, so two years ago, Nika was a resident, and then last year, I I was a resident. And now there's 10 more residents. So next year, if you take this class, there'll be some them up here, you know, teaching this class. Um, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, something interesting happened the other day. They were doing like a, uh, they were doing a round table, just get like meet and greet, get to know you kind of thing. And they said, all right, what is, what's your favorite fast food restaurant? So I'm just going to do a quick poll. Like, hey, we'll, we'll do kind of top three. Yeah. Like maybe, uh, I don't know, what's fast food? In and out. Oh, who said it? Come on. In and out burger. Let's see your hands. Bam, right there. It's better than water burger. Throw your stones. I don't care. What a burger. (laughs) Way better than water burger. Well, um, you know what? We'll just do a contest. Raise your hand for In and Out Burger and raise your hand for Chick fil A. Oh, well, that's, I mean, one's from heaven. (laughs) I now revoke my In and Out and switching to Chick fil A. Here, let me. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think the. Yeah. I've got new batteries for Whatever. you. Thank you. I'm All right, right, perfect. Um, so, uh, so yeah, great. Chick Fil A, right? Everybody loves Chick Fil A, or you should. Man, I don't know. Whoa. I'm not sure. Hey, let's switch headpieces yeah. really quickly. Excuse us. Testing. Sweet. All right. So 
Everybody loves Chick-fil-A. Well, this girl, this girl was, uh, that, where they were doing their meet and greet thing, this girl comes around and says, I love Taco Bell, right? <clears throat> um, and some of you guys are like, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> you know, you know, they do, they, they like gr- grade the meat like A to D or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, and Taco Bell is like consistently D meat, you know, it's, it shows up, it shows up in these like pink bricks, you know, and then they actually add like food coloring to it to make it darker so that we'll like, yeah, it's crazy. <clears throat> anyway, um, but this girl loves Taco Bell and I'm like, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I mean, go love Taco Bell. I don't, I mean, you know, I don't think I would like make that ultimately my diet, but, but, uh, you know, you have a little burrito every once in a while, whatever, or a taco. Um, but the, when I said Taco Bell, the response that you guys gave me was that times like five from the residents in the rest of the, in the rest of the room. You love what? You love what? How, what in the world, you know, kind of thing. And you could tell her, 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 her physical posture changed when that happened, right? She kind of sat back and was like looking around like, oh my gosh. To be fair, she also likes Waffle House. So hey, I, I mean. Hey, you know. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, this girl, but I watched her. I watched her for the rest of the time. And, and what ended up happening was she said, well, I mean, I'm not saying I love it, but I mean, you know, I, I'm not going there every once in a while, you know, to like, well, I just go when my friends take me kind of thing, you know? And I was like, all right, this is like, as a military, as an ex-military guy, she is in full retreat, you know, um, run away. <laughs> and so, um, man, it, it was just a great example of, of what a lot of times happens with us when, when the truth that is clearly revealed in scripture is, um, counter-cultural, right? Um, hey, um, I, I, uh, I believe that God created all mankind and loves everyone. I don't think that he condones all of our behavior. And so I do not believe that same-sex attraction is um, right. I believe it's sin, Okay, just like I believe that my um, tendency to um, uh, to to lust after um, women, a, a heterosexual attraction, can also be wrong. Okay, outside of the of the boundaries of what God has intended. Just like I believe that you know abusing alcohol is wrong. Like uh, so, there's nothing like I don't think there's any. I don't think we should demonize this one sin. But um, man, if you go out into our culture and say, and raise your hand and put yourself into a category of people that would say that that is sinful, right? Um, You are definitely going to be swimming against the stream, okay? And so for a lot of people, and frankly, I'm just using an example because this is the clearest one for the church right now. We are seeing church after church after church after church fold on this issue, right? When it is clear from scripture that God has, God has, hey, God has spoken on this issue. And, and, and you know what? I think the creator of the universe gets a vote, right? And, and so, and, I, and, and at the end of the day, if pressed on it, I'm going to say, man, I think his is the only one that really matters, okay? We, we are to conform to his image, not the other way around, right? And so while, and now, now, 
I want to make sure I clarify this because, you know, as I said a few weeks ago when we talked about this issue, you know, I'm, 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 I'm certain there are people in this room that that is your struggle, okay? And, and I want to tell you, it's okay, okay? I, I, don't think, I don't think God is angry at you any more than he's angry at me for, you know, for my lust or for, you know, gluttony or anything like that. However, I do think that um, he is calling you to repentance, just like he calls me to repentance in, in the areas of sin struggle in my life, right? And so um, this is a safe place to struggle. It's a safe place to process that. But you also need to hear me say, we are, we are not going to fold um, to cultural pressure. It's just not going to happen, okay? And I would tell you that um, in a lot of different ways, um, that, th- I mean, that probably is the biggest um, hindrance that we, that we have to applying God's word accurately to our lives is that we will, being apply, we will be applying God's word accurately to our lives and our culture will come in like a Mack truck and be like, you need to change, right? You need to get in line with what everybody else is doing. And, and I'm just telling you, man, I, you know, at the end of the day, um, we have to say, hey, um, uh, may, may God be found true and every man a liar. Um, and, and may I be found faithful to what God has called me to do. Um, so, Nike, am I missing anything on that? Do you want to reinforce anything? All right. Um, hopefully that's clear, clear to you guys. Okay, so those are some, some uh, hindrances to, to application. And then um, the last one is, man, and this is where I'm talking, to, we'll, we'll talk more about the spiritual life toward the end. But this is one that, that's just, uh, um, we have to consistently check ourselves. Is that um, we will, I mean, and I say, I say we because I'm including myself, you know, with all of us. We will, for the rest of our lives, bring certain um, predispositions, preconceptions, um, biases, um, uh, self-justifications to the text to make it say what we want it to say because our heart is hard, right? Um, I mean, there are all kinds of times where it's like, well, you know, I know it kind of says that, but, you know, um, I, I, think that was, I think that was really culturally bound over there. Even though it's repeated in the New Testament, it's reinforced throughout the rest of the law or the rest of uh, the, you know, what we would call the law of Christ. Um, even though it's, even though it's we considered a universal truth, man, I, I just, I don't really think that that's exactly what it's saying. And so I, I'm gonna kind of continue in my uh, way of, of, of interpreting that to, to justify myself. Guess where, guess where we get the most creative as Christians? Anybody know? When you're justifying yourself, all right? It's like, dude, I have a 15-month-old son, and he's probably, well, you guys saw him the first week. Um, he's ridiculously cute. I tell, I tell him all the time, I'm, I'm like, Nate, even though you can't really understand what I'm telling you right now, it's great that you're really cute um, because it's kind of the only thing you get going for you. Uh, otherwise, you're like this, you know, but you're parasitic. I mean, you're like sucking the life out of your mother and I, you know? Um, <laughs> But you're super cute, and so it's fine, you know. Um, but it's funny because he's starting to understand um, what the parameters that I'm putting up for him. So, hey, don't open that drawer that has a bunch of knives in it, you know, um, which we try to put those, like, guards in there. It's, those things are somebody, – somebody invent a, a drawer guard that's really easy to install, all right? Um, anyway, so just stuff like that where it's like, hey, don't open that drawer with knives in it, you know. And, and it's funny because – He'll grab something that is obviously not his, which is the remote. The remote is not Nate's, you know. 
he'll start recording all these shows, you know, and it's like, it's like, David, did you, did you record like, you know, whatever it is, and, and uh, Nate's got his shows in there because he keeps pushing the record button, so he knows the remote's not for him, well, he will, he will grab the thing and look around, you know, and then if I come asking for it, bam, he's, he takes off like a rocket, man, and so I'm like, Nate, bring that to daddy, he's gone, and even at a very, even at a, even at 15 months, his first kind of conscious thoughts are, no, mine, me, I want this, right? And I want to tell you, um, for, for a 15-month-old or for an 85-year-old or for someone who's on their deathbed in their 90s or, or even into the hundreds, like as long as you're a human, right, um, you are bringing that to the table. So don't ever think that you grow out of that. You don't. It's still there. You just, you've, we've gotten a lot more creative in like, in, in putting uh, paint on it or covering it up, but the junk still stinks, okay? And, and so um, just knowing that, that when you come to the text, there needs to be a humility of, hey, um, man, I do have biases here. I do have, my heart is hard towards some of these things. And, and uh, in Hebrews chapter four, um, you know, it, it, it says very clearly that, that the word of God um, is alive and it's active and it's judging you, right? And so don't ever be the one that's coming to the text that's judging the text, right? Come to the text with humility to allow the Spirit of God to, to judge the thoughts and the intents of your heart, right? Through, um, through Scripture, okay? So those uh, are some hindrances. Yeah, and I would just add to that. You know, one of the things in my youth, like there are no exceptions to God's law, right? So like you'll read things like honor your mother and father, and you're like, well, I don't have to because my parents aren't believers. I don't have to because whatever, right? And um, in our youth, that's even part of the justification that we think, well, this, this only applies to men or this only applies to women or this only applies to moms or this only applies. And then and remember, if it's a universal theological principle, it applies to you. And so just keeping that in mind that you can't, um, you're not an exception to what God's best is for your life. Yeah, absolutely. All right, before we move on to roadblocks, anybody got any questions about what we covered so far? Okay. Roadblocks application. All right, these are, um, these are the uh, three or four things that, that, uh, that, we, that, that I see really frequently in, in people's lives um, who are uh, doing context, who are doing observation, who are doing interpretation, and then they, they hit application and it's like, and they stop, or they go the wrong, they take a left turn and go the wrong way. Okay, so here, here are some of them. One, affirmation without activation. This is, this is you coming every single week on Thursday night, coming every Sunday morning, coming to regen or re-engage or, you know, you name women's Bible study summit, who knows you're coming and you're gaining all kinds of, you're gaining all kinds of knowledge. And you're like, yeah, dude, I affirm all that stuff. Preach. And then, and then you leave and you don't activate any of the information that, that you've been given. Okay. And I would tell you, this is at the top of the, of the list because one of the primary, I would say the, the only way that we interact with the one who created us, the only one who is able to bring about transformation in our lives is, is through making these relational investments with him on a consistent basis. Okay. And so if we're no, if we just know all the right answers, but we're not actually obeying what, what Christ has called us to do, then, then, then you may know some things about God, but you don't know God. 
You can't, what I'm saying is you can't know God unless you're interacting with him. Just like I can't know my wife if we live in totally separate cities and never see each other. Uh, are you tracking with me? Okay, so this is, so to just become a smarter sinner is, is really just a, a, a deeper form of Pharisaism. Okay, may it not be um, of, of any of our lives that, that all we do here is just train smarter Pharisees. Okay, um, there, is, there is a transformation that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit as we interact relationally with God himself. Um, and, and that's why I, I mentioned the, the rule of faith. And that may even be something we email out to you guys. I've got like a one-page um, uh, one handout that just walks you through how to develop a rule of faith. Okay, it's really simple. But affirmation without activation. So, um, man, we, we have to apply appropriately and accurately the things that we affirm. Okay, or frankly, what does that say about us? It says that we don't really affirm them. Okay. Um, secondly, Christianity without Christ likeness. Man, I see this. I see this in my own life, but I see it. I see it everywhere. Right? It's these guys that uh, I, I saw it uh, yesterday. Somebody sent me a video of this guy, of this street preacher, who was just hellfire and damnation. I mean, all of you, everybody's sinners, and everybody's going straight to hell. You know. Now, one, I have an issue with that, the second part of that message. I mean, I think the first one is right. Like, everybody is sinners, but I don't think that's how you communicate with them, right? I mean, I've never seen anybody, like, get beat over the head of the Bible and be like, I repent, I repent, you know? That's actually my story. Yeah, well, except for Nika, (laughs) but we all know what, you know, Nika, so. Um, But yeah, I mean, maybe you guys have, I don't know, but I've never seen that happen. I mean... Um, what I have seen is I've seen, I've seen G, I see this portrait of Jesus in the gospel who is, um, who is definitely, um, uh, engaging people's, the hardness of their hearts with a direct message. But, but I see him, uh, pastorally draw people to himself, right? Um, this, this idea of, unless you come to me like a child, um, there's, there's relational language, intimacy, intimate relational language all throughout, really all throughout scripture, but definitely in the gospels, definitely in Paul's letters where, where we cry out, Abba, father, right? And so there's all kinds of times where, where people will apply a truth, right? That on the page, are people sinners? Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, is that the message of Christianity? Well, it's part of it. Um, can you communicate that truth in a way that is not Christ-like? Absolutely. Right? But, but I think that Christ is just as concerned with how we are communicating his message than, than the fact that we actually communicate it. Okay? So, so there's definitely a a uh, savviness about this. There is a, there is a relational sensitivity with people about, about applying things. I mean, I'm not going to, um, uh, even when the, even when scripture says in Matthew 18 to, to go to a, a brother, to, to correct him, to rebuke him, right? Even when I rebuke somebody, it is done for the purpose of reconciliation, not to drive them away. Right? How many times it's like, hey, I got to go rebuke this dude. Hey, sucker, come over here. You know, it's like, dude, hang on, man. Like, 
It's going to be a fight, you know? Uh, and so there's a, there's a savviness here that as, as the Holy Spirit leads us to apply that we don't just need to preach the message of Christianity. We also need to be like Christ, okay? Um, so definitely a, ro- a roadblock as we seek to apply. Man, following right on the heels of that is selectivity without sensitivity. And, and so um, this, is, this is basically saying, hey, I'm going to pick and choose the things that I want to like get really passionate about. And so I'm going to read this one passage and bam, that's what I'm going to be all about and just bark at people about that one thing, you know, and it's like, hey, let's be a little more holistic than that. Let's be a little bit more um, uh, accurate in the way that we present um, even God himself the, to be to be sensitive to where people are and and to not just say, well, it says this here and ignoring the fact that there are other passages that inform that situation. OK, and then lastly, um, is emotion without volition. So sometimes people are, well, you know, the, kind of the, the other spectrum of, of uh, well, it's, it's kind of a different way of saying affirmation without activation, but definitely saying, hey, I feel good about all these things. It's kind of a feel-good Christianity, um, but it's never sinking down into the core of your being. And, and so um, did, did y'all know that in, in the Hebrew mindset that the heart, um, their idea of the heart is not the seat of the, of the emotions, right? It's the seat of someone's will. Guess, guess what the, the Hebrews thought was the seat of the emotions. Does anybody know? Yeah, it's your gut, you know? Man, I love you with all of my intestines, you know? It's like, that just doesn't, Mm-mm. yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, but if you're, a, if you're, you know, ancient Hebrew, man, get, go after the intestines, man. That's where it's at. Um, but there, yeah, there's this aspect of, of, hey, I feel good about this, but it's not really, um, it, it's not affecting my volition. It's not affecting um, the, the, uh, the seat of, of the decisions that I make in my life. Basically, um, I think God, it, it, I have this picture of kind of, you know, God just loves everybody. And he's kind of this Mr. Rogers figure, but I mean, it doesn't really affect like the decisions that I make, right? And so all of these things um, are roadblocks. To application. All right, before we move to real world scenarios, anything I've said so far that you'd like to comment on or ask a question or anything like that? Okay, here's what I want to do. So flip your handout over, the one page handout, flip it over the back, and you'll see three, um, three real world scenarios. <clears throat> one of them is about uh, salvation, somebody's uh, sharing the gospel, the other one is about finances, and the third one is about marriage. So what I want you to do is get into groups of like five or six, just the people around you. And we're going to take about um, five or 10 minutes or so. I just want you to pick one of those and talk through with that group. Hey, based on A, B, C, A, B and C, there are three options there. How would we correctly apply scripture to this situation? Or if you think there's another verse that, that comes to mind, then throw a D in there and write your own. All right. Or if you don't like those three, and you, but there has been a situation that you've encountered recently in your own community group, then talk about um, that real world scenario and how you address that accurately with scripture. Okay. So break up into groups of five or six, and then we'll come back in about five or 10 minutes. All right, guys, I'm sure y'all are having amazing conversations. It sounds like it. I feel an angelic glow coming from this area over here. Not really sure what's going on back there, but y'all have got some. Y'all are doing it. Hey, uh, let's get a couple of groups that that uh, tackled. Um, who took scenario one? Anybody take scenario one? The evangelism deal. All right, who wants to talk about it? 
Who wants to tell us what the group did? Hey, Nike, go get the, the guy in the blue shirt back there. Turn right. Four down. Yeah, that guy right there. No, Nika, Nika, right in front of you. There you go. Okay. He raised his hand, so. Yeah, okay. What's um, your name? Yeah, we picked scenario one. We had a pretty good back and forth conversation about all three, really. Sweet. Um, and there really wasn't a, a choice. Some of us, I say the probably four of us or the majority, um, were thinking B because it was more of a how question. So how do I do this? Here's how. And it kind of just laid it out there for us. Yep. So that's what we were thinking. Yeah, perfect. So, I, yeah, I would say with scenario one, I mean, we made um, <laughs> the, the C option obviously is, uh, doesn't have anything to do with it. Um, um, and, uh, but, I mean, it's kind of that whole, like, hey, if somebody's asking to be saved, do you tell them, well, you just got to stand firm to the end, you know? No, that's not the gospel, right? Um, nor is it A, which a lot of times people will look at Revelation chapter 3, um, verse 20, and say, hey, just Jesus is what? Knocking on the door of your heart. Anybody ever heard that before? All right. I've used it. Oh, my gosh. It's before was, this class. Yeah. <laughs> So there's this idea of, hey, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. The problem with that is the context of that passage is talking to who? Yeah, it's talking to the church, which begs the question, what is Jesus doing outside of the church, right? Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, it, he's knocking. It's what he's doing. You're right. Um, it's, but it's, uh, um, I mean, that's, that's not, a, that's not a, uh, a passage that we would go to for, like, uh, someone entering into the kingdom of God. However, we would go to Romans chapter 10, right? Um, is, a, is a fairly clear, clear passage on that. So scenario two, who did that? All right. Um, do you want to talk about it? Come on, there we go. <laughs> it's okay, we're recording it. No worries. Oh dear. <laughs> okay, we chose C for that one because it spoke directly to his issue about being able to trust. That's right. Yeah, good. Uh, outstanding. So, to, I mean, the other two passages, one, we've talked about both of these other two ones. You kind of have the, yeah, you kind of have the deal of like, hey, man, you, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, right? Um, it, it, and, and so we can inaccurately apply that to that situation to just be like, well, just go keep doing whatever you're doing, and, and uh, ultimately something will work out for you, and it'll be great you know, kind of thing, um, when that's not really what Philippians 4 is talking about. Um, and, and, uh, and then the Habakkuk chapter 1 passage is also this, hey, look, God's going to do something amazing in your life. Look, be utterly amazed. You wouldn't believe it, even if he told you. You're going to have a mansion and cars and all this stuff, right? Um, except, um, except that passage is talking about the Chaldeans coming into Israel and killing everybody, right? And so that's not it um, either. And so you're right. Um, the, the passage that does get to the heart of his issue is his, is his lack of trust and the fact that when you do trust the Lord, that um, the Lord is taking people who are trusting in him and he is pushing them down his path, right? That and, and uh, is, is making that path straight. So um, um, again, a perspective change from our perspective to the Lord's. And then scenario three, who took that? All right, way back there, you want to talk about it? Bam. Awesome. Did my workout. Okay. Um, we chose, we went with B, definitely B. 
I'm just joking. <laughs> That's awesome. I love um, it. We actually went with A. Okay. <laughs> we actually Why? went with A. And um, just to kind of highlight on this complex sentence, they use that coordinating conjunction but yep. to kind of show that contrast. Um, Good. Bam. Observation. Love it. To not let that unwholesome talk come out of your mouth and then contrast it with what should come out. And then they followed it up. It's not an if-then statement, but it is a cause-and-effect statement. Um, Helpful for building others up in accordance to their needs. And then the effect of that is that they would benefit from those who listen. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, outstanding. Hey, um, you get a Chick-fil-A free, you get a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. Her answer was so good. Everybody gets a free Everybody Chick-fil-A gets a free sandwich. sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Chick-fil-A on us. Before Sunday. They expire on Sunday. There's well, no, 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 because Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday. So you got to. <laughs> Saturday. Yeah, they expire on Saturday. Right. Yeah, they need to fix that. So, yeah. Hey, seriously. No doubt. I crave it every Dude, have y'all seen? Have y'all seen the Tim Hawkins comedian guy that has that uh, Chick-fil-A song? Hilarious. Um, yeah, he's a uh, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm not going to sing it. Sing but hey, it. seriously, on the way out, um, we had a Watermark member who has a lot of those cards, and she uh, gratefully, or thank whatever, graciously is giving those out. So on the way out, grab a free Chick-fil-A card. Um, grab several. Bam. So good, yeah. I mean, just to highlight the other two passages, um, uh, there obviously Mark ten. You know, hey, just give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Um, that's not it. Um, again, I mean, that that's a good example of of. I mean, well, what do you need if you're going to correctly interpret that verse? Because it says that Moses said it was okay to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. If you just pull that verse out and use it, what's what do you need to do? Yeah, exactly. Remember, remember that circle from last week? Like you, you had the word and then you had um, the sentence or, or the phrase and then the paragraph and the pericope and the, the book and then the testament and then the whole Bible, okay? So we're, we're doing context there. So it's definitely not B. And then uh, C, Proverbs 26, 5, answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes, right? I've definitely applied this in my marriage and it does not work, okay? There's another one. There's another passage um, that's just right next to that one that says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, right? And so definitely in those two passages as well, context is driving um, what's going on. And so a lot of times when my wife is, you know, if if we're arguing what she, and and vice versa, I don't want to hear from her either. Hey, you're a fool, you know, and I'm going to correct you in your folly. Um, Anybody ever done that before? (laughs) So um, we're actually in re-engage right now, which is, you know, <laughs> so um, yeah, that doesn't work. And, and I think to, the, to, to your point as well, what was your name? Um, that, yep. Dia. Awesome. So what Dia said um, is, is, yeah, contrasting the, the, the not, no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but um, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And so even in that verse, there is an implicit, uh, really you could say it's an explicit um, command to take the focus off of yourself and put it onto the other person, right? And, and, and then meet that person's needs. And so it's kind of the, and, and then if you're going to be critical of anybody, then um, like re-engage says all the time, draw a circle, and around yourself and, and, and work on the person in the circle, all right? 
And so, man, in any kind of, and I, that's not just for marriage, that's any kind of interpersonal relationship you have, is, is this others-focused uh, um, others attitude, um, which if you want the passage for that, it's Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Um, um, or, or even before that, it says, um, uh, um, do nothing out of, of selfishness or, or, or empty conceit, but, but consider one another as more important than yourself. Um, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, right? And became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, a cross kind of death. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right, um, internalizing this, and then not just internalizing it, but but then when I encounter my wife, <laughs> who is upsetting me at the moment, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to take the Scripture that has been written on your heart, and and then applying it appropriately to say, okay, I need to stop, and I need to allow the Holy Spirit to take over here, and I need to consider Margaret more important than me. And I need to meet her needs in this situation. I need to seek to understand and not try to be understood, right? These types of things. Um, these are all applications, all right? All right, we've got about 12 minutes left. And uh, this is, um, the, the next slides I'm about to take you through are by far the most important thing that we're covering tonight. It really is, because like I said at the beginning, if, if, we, if you take this class and you... Well, I'll tell you what, if somebody takes this class and just becomes a lot better at being a Pharisee, then somebody come punch me in the face, all right? Um, I will let you do that. <laughs> you can kick Nika in the shin, all right? Um, please, 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 please do not view this as an exercise um, for you to um, gain knowledge um, without activation. Um, uh, it's not what it's about. So there's this idea of double knowledge. Anybody ever heard of dirt, double knowledge before? Um, this is a little bit of a, um, a lesser known thing, which is, is kind of sad because uh, if you read the classics, if you read the mystics, um, which, which we'll see a few of them here in a second that have quotations from their works, but um, definitely Augustine, um, who anybody know Augustine is, right? Um, dude in the middle of the 5th century was a... Uh, uh, was a church, uh, one of the early church leaders, um, and, and is probably one of the uh, more um, influential theologians that's ever lived, okay? Um, but Augustine said, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you, okay? So there is, so what he's saying is, is, is that in some way, m- the knowledge of myself is intricately tied to my knowledge of God, and my knowledge of God is intricately tied to the knowledge of myself. Okay, that, that's what he's saying when, by double knowledge. So another guy in Sermon 37, um, a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux, which was like a 10th century monk, was a, a classic Christian mystic, said, know yourself and you will have a wholesome fear of God. Know God and you will also love God. You must avoid both types of ignorance. And he's saying ignorance of yourself and ignorance of God. Because without fear and love, 
Salvation is not possible. Without knowledge of self, we have no knowledge of God. What these guys are saying is the same point I've been saying to you before. It, unless, you are, unless you have a clear understanding about your own depravity, about the own, uh, your own preconceptions that you're bringing to the text, about your own biases, about your own intrinsic selfishness, then the God that you're going to worship is not God. This is what they're saying. If you do have that, then, then, and you are applying the scripture that, that, is, that is really the pathway of intimacy to God, then as you interact with God, then you get to know him. And guess what happens? The more you, intimately you walk with Christ, the more intimately you know yourself. And I, I would say you cannot know yourself accurately unless you're walking in intimacy with God. You will consistently, and I would even argue, constantly deceive yourself. Julian of Norwich in Revelations of Divine Love. Our soul is so deeply grounded in God and so endlessly treasured that we cannot come to knowledge of it until we first have knowledge of God. We can never come to the full knowledge of God until we first clearly know our own soul. John Calvin in the Institutes. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are bound together by a mutual tie. Blaise Pascal in his Pensees 525 to 527. To know God and yet know nothing of our own wretched state breeds pride. To realize our misery and know nothing of God is mere despair. But if we come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we find our true equilibrium, for there we find both human misery and God. So, so there is this, when I say knowledge of God, I am not talking about someone sitting there going, okay, got the context down, got the background down. I'm, man, I'm observing this. Man, somebody give me a medal here. I'm observing like crazy. I got like 500 observations in this one sentence, right? Um, you're, you're observing the heck out of this thing. And then you're like, man, interpretation, dude. I got my commentary. I got my Bible dictionary. I got, I got my, my word study. I got my, I've done my validation, all of these things. Okay, now I'm going to go out there and apply this like a good little boy and a good little girl. What, what I'm telling you is you can do all of those things and never truly know God. Um, you're just, you're just habituating a deeper form of legalism. The, the Bible is not out there to, to, as, as a, uh, a way, as a rule book that if you apply every single thing in it, that all of a sudden you're going to become good. No, that's wrong. The Bible is there for you to interact with the person who created you in a relational way to grow in intimacy with him because he is the only one that can change you. if we're not making these relational investments with God the Father through the sacrifice of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, then, then all we do is walk out of the door and, and, and obey something, but there's never any real transformation. And, and the goal, guys, the goal is not your obedience. The goal is, is for you to know God. And, and the way you know God is you apply his word as a means to walk in intimacy with him. Do you understand the difference? This is, a, this is a massive difference because so many people are in this other camp. 
The Bible is just something that, well, I'm doing this as kind of a self-help program. So two guys that actually are teaching in my doctoral track right now, um, a guy named Rob Reese and, and Randy Lone wrote a book called Deep Mentoring. And they said this, one wonders whether the perceived shallowness that seems to pervade much of the church today is in part due to our knowing many of the right answers, yet failing to integrate those answers into the reality of our daily lives. Somewhere along the way, many Christians have abandoned the notion of double knowledge, of the double knowledge dynamic in the Christian life. There are are many Christians floundering in their spiritual lives today because they have in one form or another failed to appreciate the interrelationship between the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. Either they have falsely equated Christian maturity with a self-actualizing journey that ignores the horizon of God's character and work, or they have reduced their growing up into Christ into a heady exercise that equates biblical IQ with genuine sanctification. Right? So we're either viewing the text as a self-help to like just make us better if we just follow the rule book, or we're thinking, I'll just know it and, and I'll, 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 you know, have the, the biblical IQ of 300, right? Um, but, but I'm never actually viewing it as a tool that God has given to us to relationally relate with him in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, Jesus was deeply right. I mean, he's deeply right about everything because he's God, right? But, but he's deeply right when he says, when he's, he's about to go to the cross and he prays, Um, he prays to his father and he says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I didn't see anything in in there about the law. Did you? Now this is eternal life that they take the list of commandments and follow them one at a time. Make sure you're checking your list, people. People. No. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they, us, that we might know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. As if, if all we're doing is following a list of rules and we, and we water down the key of application to a mere dutiful um, observance in our life um, without relationally connecting with God, then we are walking Pharisees. That's what we are. And, and, and we, we fluctuate between um, just being a good little boy and, and, and the, the train wreck that is our lives because the Holy Spirit is not actually informing the darkest parts of our lives. Um, you guys, do you guys ever, uh, you guys ever uh, grow up doing like math problems and, and the, the answers to the odd questions were in the back of the book? Yes, yeah? That's why when you're doing homework, it's like, dude, he assigned the odds. <laughs> you know, sweet. So a lot of times, man, a lot of times that's the way we view the Christian life though. Hey, just, just I'm gonna just use the Bible as, a, as an answer book. This is the answer to my life. And so um, the, the problem with that is that there's odd questions, but there's also even ones. And a lot of times um, when we grow in the spiritual life, we begin to realize that a lot of our questions are the even numbered questions about, man, how is, how can I read this book over and over and over again and still see so little transformation in my life? Right. And, and, and the, the very first, I mean, very rarely anymore 
in accountability conversations. I mean, definitely we talk about behavior for sure, but very, very rarely anymore do I look at someone who is applying things. I mean, they're applying, right? But they're applying in such a way that leaves out the relational aspect of connecting with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so it, I'm just sitting there going, hey man, um, what's your motivation for doing, for, for applying it that way? What do you believe about God that's driving you to apply that in that way? And, and are you making consistent relational investments to God and the power of the Holy Spirit that would empower you to live the type of life that God wants you to live so that you're not just applying it, you're applying it in such a way that, that, that the Holy Spirit is invading your life and he's changing you from the inside out. This is Christianity. Uh, Dallas Willard said, you know, um, Christianity, is, um, uh, Christianity has, has not been um, tried and, and, and found wanting. It's, it's, been, it, it, it's not been tried at all. Chesterton said that. Well, then Willard was quoting Chesterton (laughs) in his book, right? So it's, it's, this is not something that's, uh, for most of us, we, we've just, uh, we've just said, man, um, for these areas that I've applied, you know, I, I, uh, um, I guess it just doesn't work, right? And I would just say, man, we need to revisit that when we talk about application. If application is not driving you into a deeper intimacy with God, then you need to check your motive and, and you need to readjust to, um, to act and to apply out of a deep love for God, right? And so, man, I know I just spent 10, it's eight o'clock, so I spent 10 minutes, um, 10 to 12 minutes talking about that, but that, that is the foundation for this key, okay? So may we never forget it. And I would just tell you, um, Luke 6.46 always kind of hits me in the face, as a believer, as when sometimes I'm struggling to apply things to my life, um, even though I know I should apply them, and it's almost like Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is looking at us um, in the face and he's saying, hey, hey guys, um, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and you don't do what I say, right? Um, so as, we, as you walk out of here, man, be encouraged for sure. Um, by this, by, the, by uh, um, applying what we've learned to your life, but apply it in order to um, walk intimately with God, not so that you can be a good Christian boy or girl. All right. Hey, again, for those of y'all who weren't here, you definitely don't want to miss next week. Uh, Dr. Danny Hayes, one of the co-authors of Journey into God's Word, is going to be here uh, teaching the last class. All right. Y'all have a great week.